Hello, and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's podcast all about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex. I'm here with a bonus episode today, something a little bit special. I am putting on my Wednesday hat, and I'm going to be talking to a couple of people that I know about a topic that is near and dear to my current thinking. What's going on? Well, I'm curious about the world of corporate communications, because as you may have heard, Elon Musk bought a company called Twitter, kind of a big deal. And one thing that he did, according to Axios, was ax the entire communication staff apart from one person, therefore kind of putting it all into his hands, much like he's done with Tesla and SpaceX. And I sat down and went, how crazy is that? And I didn't have an answer. So I decided to learn more about corporate comms. And to help me do that, I have a couple of guests, friends of mine, people that I've talked to for ages and ages and ages. They're both smart as a whip and uh, they're both very funny, they've promised. So this should be a good time. First up, we have Keanu Corliss, former head of comms at Tableau through its IPO and formerly head of global communications at PR at Databricks. Kiana, say hi. Hi. And then we also have Kelly Landers-Boynton, Gusto Senior Director of Communications and a former VP at Access Communications, where she was for some time. Kelly, say hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Can I just say how weird this is to be having you guys on the show as guests? Because usually I talk to you like five minutes before I talk to a CEO about something and we're like, you know, figuring out a detail. It's, It's strange to be like interviewing you while we're recording. I can't quite get my head around it. Well, and I feel like we're usually not the ones answering the questions. <laughs> we're usually the ones like telling people how to answer them. So um, we'll see how good I am at my own job for myself. Well, actually, we should say this up top. Kiana, you have a podcast of your own and it would be remiss of me to not let you drop some promo. So feel free. Oh, I didn't know, realize I was going to be able to uh, to drop that in. Uh, yeah, just checking in. We finished our first season last year. You were our first guest. It was amazing. And then we are recording our second season as we speak. So Becky Buckman out of uh, Battery Ventures. And I have a fun little podcast. If you're in the corp comms world, we actually have some awesome, awesome guests. So check out that first season. It's already out. Way to, way to let me shamelessly plug that. Thanks. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> the cool thing about podcasts is you can kind of just go as long as you want or until your producer explodes in anger. And so you have a kind of unlimited column inches to use. So why not? Um, Kelly, uh, you don't have a podcast and you also don't talk out loud that much. So I just want to say thank you very much for being willing uh, to to indulge me by coming on. Of course. Um, definitely not used to being uh, in the spotlight and more behind the scenes person. <laughs> well, uh, well-deserved spotlight, given how important your roles have proved, I would say, in the last couple of weeks. But I want to go backwards in time and kind of talk about how we got to the current world of, of comms. And I want to give my very stripped down understanding of things and just get your guys' kind of vibe check on where my head's at. So back in the day, I recall when blogs became a thing that people stopped putting in scare quotes because they were kind of well-known and kind of an established concept. And companies, and this was a big deal at the time, began to have their own web blogs, their own blogs. They would publish their own stuff. And at the time, it felt relatively revolutionary. And people thought about, oh my gosh, companies are going direct. How will this change the world? And the answer was somewhat. And then we had social media. Brands had to get on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And originally, it was more like them kind of sharing announcements. And it became a bit more over time. Uh, We've seen a lot of brands try to go viral by being funny or witty or just trying to avoid incoming fire. But the overall trend seems to be companies going a bit more direct to either customers or consumers. And that's where I think we are today. So Kiana, you first, please vet my summary of the last 10 to 15 years of corporate comms and tell me how far off the mark I am. No, I mean, I mean, you're, you're right. I think a lot of those things, what they are, are they're just new channels of corporate communication. So 
traditionally, and this is, you know, way back when you would issue a press release whenever you wanted to get something out there and you would send it to a gazillion reporters and you would hope that they would cover it in some way, shape or form. You still have that. That's still a super important part of communications. But you also have these different channels now, thanks to social media and blogs. And I mean, you name it, there's there's a way to, to do it. And what that does is it does give the company a little bit more control, for lack of a better word. I don't know if that's the best word to use for it, but it gives them a, a sense of like, you know, creating this message or, or creating a personality or, or an image or whatever they want to do. And, and, and the smart comms people and the smart marketing teams do it in a way that it becomes part of their like overall package, right? It, it's creating this image that they want out there. And they're, they're smart about what's a press release. What do we, you know, pitch a reporter with? What do we go out with directly? What is our image or our brand or our personality on Twitter? And so all of that sort of comes together. And so that's why like a lot of people think, you know, PR people just like pitch reporters all day and hope for the best. It's not. It's, it's like this very actually strategic, smart dance around creating an image across like a gazillion different channels. I know, Kelly, if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I would say what you talked a lot about, Alex, was the distribution, right? I would say good communications, though, like communications done right. It's providing value for the audience, you know, a business cares about. And there are a lot of different audiences, right? Like we were just talking about whether it be reporters, whether it be the customers, whether it be investors. And so again, you kind of tap into the different channels depending on who you want to reach. And just like anything, like communications has had to adapt because that's where our audiences have gone. So it, it sounds like though the way you describe this is that communications at a company, if you're in the center of it, you're at kind of this like this um, traffic cop position of like sending out certain things certain ways and also kind of deciding when things can go out and perhaps even also the content of the message itself. Yeah, I, I think there's actually like a really important point there to make is that the companies with the best comms teams are the ones that actually give their comms people or leaders a seat at the table for important decisions. So it is not just a like, how are you getting this, you know, message out? It's like, what is the message we want to get out? And what is what is the smart thing for us to do? And what is the best way for us to do it? And I think the shift has come in like companies realizing, oh, our comms team better have a say in this. They're not just like purveyors of the message. So going from essentially, I don't know the right word for this. I'm going to butcher the phrasing, but like going from being like, like service workers who are handed tasks to being brought into the leadership room and having a seat at the table and a voice in the conversation that sets the, the policy for the company that is then communicated out. Yeah, I, th I think that's spot on. I don't know, Kelly, if you want to maybe jump in with, with your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about kind of good communications, I would say it's about taking what's unique about a business and what that business is solving and relating it to what's happening in the world, right? So I would say, for example, where I work, we serve 200,000 small and medium-sized businesses. And a lot of what our team has been working on is working with a bunch of economists to talk about what different um, like economic trends are happening, like what's going on with the labor market, what's going on with inflation and helping serve it up to you know our customers to make sense of it for them. So again, and that's something that our communications team is working closely with our economist team on. So Kelly, Kiana said that comms is being brought into more decision-making, which I think makes a lot of sense personally. Does that mean that in your, in your personal career, comms has reached a kind of new place of internal prominence at the companies you've worked for and with? 
Yeah, I would say so. And again, comms in general, like they are a great partner in that they are here not to be a yes man. They're here to poke holes. They are here to look around corners. There's a lot of different roles a communications person plays. And again, I think that's what makes them so important. Okay. So we're talking about your guys, I think most recent experiences, Gusto and Databricks, two companies that I think everyone listening to this show should know because we've talked about them on the show ad nauseum over the years. But I want to narrow this down to like earlier stage companies, because I think it's uh, this all makes good sense to me for a company that has a thousand employees or whatever. You have a lot of folks, there's a lot of stuff to coordinate, but a smaller company probably is a little bit simpler. So, you know, if we're talking about a series A, series B stage company today, not C, not when it's five people, but when it's actually had a staff and some departments and stuff, how many internal communications professionals would kind of that series A and B company have on average to help do the stuff that you guys are describing? I would say there's not like a specific formula or specific number. It's about what's the business need? What are the business goals? And is comms the right player to help achieve those goals? Um, so again, I don't know if there's a, a perfect number. I would say not every company is going to need 80 persons comms team. Some, some will, but what I can say is like early on, I've been at a company with 14 people and there was one comms person and I've served at companies that have had thousands of people and five comms people. So it, it definitely ranges. It's just based on really the need. Kiana, what, I, what I'm hearing from Kelly is that there's such thing as a 10x comms person, much as there is a 10x engineer, because five to a thousand is quite a ratio. Well, and, and I will tell you this. I mean, so I think Kelly is, is spot on in terms of like, what does the company need? I mean, you have like, you know, I'll give you an example. There are companies that work in like, let's say DevOps. Well, if you're working in DevOps, you are probably being hacked all the time and you probably have a very robust crisis comms team. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if you're in this like more HR software, for example, you might not need that. You have a, you know, an in-house person or two and a, and a PR agency and you're good to go. Um, it also depends on, you know, what you're trying to achieve, but it kind of goes back to the point I was making earlier in that like, it depends on on the it's having a seat at the table and having like super aligned goals is critical. And so if you're on your way to going public, you have different goals than if you're just like a seed company. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, like seed company, all they want is press. Like they just want attention, you know, essentially attention. Yeah. Like, please get me in TechCrunch. Well, you know, the first thing you guys eat, your comms person's actually job isn't really to get you in TechCrunch yet. It's to like help land like what is our story? What is our, you know, personality? And maybe that's where your comms person is focusing on the blog or on, on social media and sort of drumming up the interest before they're, they're pitching media. And so the thing is, is that like at different times of your company, you're going to need different things. And that's even if you're a public company and you're 20,000 people, you're, you're going to need different things at different times. You're going to need different crisis situations. You're going to need different levels of expertise. And so like, Having a true understanding of like what you're solving for at any given time is is critical. So let's put this into kind of uh, context then. So when you were at Tableau, you were there, I believe, through the IPO. And through the acquisition. Yeah. So you've seen the company's needs change dramatically, probably over a pretty quick period. So uh, when a company goes from kind of like normal late stage to like super late stage, tell me about how the internal comms organization changed and evolved to meet a different need set. So this is where it actually is probably relevant to like Twitter. Let it go up there. This, as soon as I finish this, you'll think they're insane. So 
you know, when I started working with Tableau, I was actually on the agency side and then I, I went in house. No one knew who Tableau was. Nobody. Right. And so it was just about like, how do we tell anyone that we're just here? Right. So that was, that was our first thing. Then we went public and going public is actually the greatest marketing event of all time. Reason being, at a minimum, four times a year, someone has to pay attention to you, specifically you, Alex. I know. I was just about to say, ah, who is that? Oh, yes, it's me. I mean, at a minimum, four times a year, someone cares about you. And so that becomes super important. And so it starts becoming this like strategic moment where it's like, people are going to pay attention to us on this day. What do we do with it? Um, The other thing I learned when we were public, and this is where the Twitter thing comes in, is like, when you're a public company, you have no idea what investors are going to latch on to when you announce earnings. Every single time, I was like, there's five things they could latch on to. I think they're going to latch on to this. They never latched on to that. <laughs> like, I would have been the worst inside trader of all time. <laughs> and the thing is, is that we would, we would, you know, brief reporters on background right before the earnings call so that reporters had a really good sense of like what was actually happening. And so they were they were better equipped during the earnings call. They had a better sense of like why questions were being asked. The coverage was better. The stock price went up or didn't go down as much. And so a comms team is making money or not losing as much. And if you look at like Tesla, for example, since getting rid of their comps team, they, they've gotten tons of lawsuits and regulatory challenges. Their stock has gone down. Like their return to work was a bust. Like you read that Axios article that tells you. And so when you have like strategic comms people there who understand that these things can affect stock price, we become very important. Yeah. I actually think you bring up an interesting point. I feel like a lot of people think PR people are all about spin. That's what we do. We're actually more of a bridge. I think a lot of what we do is we actually help make what the company is interested in kind of saying and what, for example, the audience, in this case, maybe it's a reporter, what what they're looking for. And we're able to kind of make both people happy, right? We're able to tell a story that we're, that is true for both. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think a bridge is like a really good, really good way to say it. Because, you know, you realize like, if you're working in a company, you start drinking the Kool-Aid yeah. uh, and you drink it real hard. And, you know, frankly, our our job is partially to help make said Kool-Aid. But, you know, Alex, you might not be interested in the Kool-Aid. And so, like, our job is to, like, figure out what part is is going to be interesting enough for you. It's also to help, like, explain things and give context to things and actually avoid miscommunications, misinterpretations. I mean, those have effects on the stock price, which has effects on a lot of people's bottom line. And so it's, it's a really important job, which is why it boggles my mind why Elon doesn't have these people. Wait, 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 wait. We can't, we can't get to the Twitter thing yet. Okay, sorry. I'll, I'll hold my excitement. Hold your excitement. I have been politely sitting on something to razz Kelly with for like three minutes now, so I have to get it out. Kiana, you mentioned correctly that an IPO is the world's best marketing event for a company. It is, it is the coming to the stage, if you will. And so, so Kelly, just because you know I have you here, why doesn't Gusto want to have this amazing marketing event that I would love to write about? I would, I would sell part of a kidney to write about that right now. Um, I'm going to take a, um, a play from Josh's, our CEO's book, which is, it's not if, but when. So in time, Alex. I know. I know. I, I've asked him that question. So like, it's perfectly fine. I'm just annoying Kelly because uh, to get to get uh, PR folks to come on the show, you have to promise them like, I won't be a jerk because <laughs> this is this is a non-traditional episode in that I'm here to learn versus I'm trying to extract a particular factoid out of YouTube, flipping the table around a little bit. 
But okay, let's talk about Twitter. So what I've heard from you guys today is that at the early stages of a company, comms helps set the brand, the company's character, if you will, how it communicates, many important things. It then over time takes that story out to different audiences, be it the press, be it customers, be it uh, possible investors, be it competitors even. And then as the company scales, it gets a more complex comms org, depending on its needs, industry, and stage. And then by the time it goes public, you have another set of issues you have to deal with, including regular disclosures of information and a different audience, which is analysts. So complex, important, varied, and evolving. Uh, Have you ever heard of a public company worth several billion dollars with several hundred million users that didn't effectively have a comms team? I'm getting no's across the board here. No, hard no. I mean, not only have I not heard of it, if you had told me that was your strategy, I would have like bonked you on the head and said, are you insane? I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, especially when you're public, holy cow, it's so important. It's so important. So, I, I mean, I can invent in my head some things that could go wrong, but I, I'm curious, like how fast would things break if you just took the comms team and just literally put them in a closet and closed the door? at a major company, like how long until the train begins to wobble off the the rails, if you will? I mean, I just go back to kind of what we were talking about before, which is you're going to have tunnel vision if you don't have a comms team to give you some perspective to, you know, be your window to the world outside of the platform you're working on. You need someone who's going to challenge and debate you. And if you don't, you're you're very singular in your focus and you're not going to be able to build for the masses. Okay. But Elon fans at this point would say, sure, but traditional comms departments are multi-party and they kind of set the tone and whatever. But in this case, they have a singular spokesperson, if you will, who is not only the CEO and owner, but also has a unique platform as the world's richest person and has a, um, what is it, 115 million Twitter followers, something like that. So does that replace anything that you're describing is missing or is it in a different substance entirely? That's non-complimentary. See, here's the thing. What this says to me about Elon is that like Elon either never gave his comms teams a seat at the table or just doesn't like respect the function or whatever it is, because it goes back to what I was saying in terms of like the companies that do this the best are the ones that like respect the crap out of their comms team, give them a seat at the table, understand to Kelly's point, the value that they bring at any stage. And Elon just doesn't. And so the problem with that is, yes, you can get your message out if you're Elon. Like, But the, the thing is, is that what, what a lot of people don't realize, and, and you know this, we have a big relationship part, right? Like you call me and you say, hey, Kiana, I just don't understand this. Can you explain this to me? So instead of you writing something that's misleading or incorrect or that's like going to send us away, you you clarify it. It's called being a journalist. You go make sure that like, what you're going to write is factual. and But if you have no one to do that with, you're like, well, this is how I understand it. So it seems actually that Elon's falling prey to the same mistake that I made at the top of the show. When I was giving my relatively crappy rundown of how corporate comms has evolved, you guys said you're focused on distribution as opposed to the rest of the job. Right. And my, my quasi argument in favor of Musk's approach is that, again, it's he has distribution but, and maybe anyone who's read his tweets might agree, perhaps a, a lack of focus, clarity, and um, concise messaging. For example, I think mocking people you just fired is an error from a comms perspective. I don't know if that's controversial in this group, but I wouldn't go about it that way. And there seems to be no one, sometimes you look at someone, you're like, don't they have any friends? 
there's, yeah, there's no checking there. (laughs) You know, and it it may be like a really high functioning comms department with the the rest of the executive team are kind of like friends. They can be like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should sit down. Uh, But that doesn't seem to be happening. You know what we haven't talked about? And Kelly, I'd love your thoughts on this is there is actually an element of this that's like the the employees. So if you're do corporate comms, you're also in charge of internal comms, which is like how you work with your employees. And I cannot imagine being an employee at these companies right now. And so if he doesn't have someone that's like helping sort of message what's going on, like that's that that to me is like creating chaos and toxicity within the employees. Yep. Employees being, as you said, another audience that comms people help serve and help their executive team relate to. And so obviously, if you're not able to do that, you are going to lose employees. So if I'm hearing this correctly, comms broadly holds both internal and external remits, responsibilities. And part of that, and this is very interesting, is also bringing up messages from the employees so that way the executives don't get too estranged, essentially, from the day to day. I I would say it it goes both ways. I think the other thing, too, is like, I'll give you a really good example, right? Like when you're a public company, the market does what it does to your stock price on any given day. Well, especially in tech companies, for a lot of employees, a lot of their money comes from said stock price. And so when all of a sudden your stock is down, I mean, I went through this at Tableau, we we lost half our market share overnight in February of 2015 or yeah, 14 or 15. Not that you remember the earnings report, the year and the month that it was reported. And I presume 50% of your market cap, not share. I, I could tell you that the price of everything, yeah, market cap, not market share. And um, basically being able to have your CEO to go instill confidence in your employees and say, hey, don't worry about the market. Like, you know, this is what we're marching towards, whatever the message needs to be. That's so critical because that's a very easy way to lose a whole lot of employees really fast uh, or to change the culture of a company. And so we, you know, comms people we work with our executives, with our people officers on what is the message we're giving to our employees? What kind of culture do we want to create here? What kind of message do we want? What kind of leadership team do we have? What do they say? Like all of those things are super critical. And if you've got Elon like tweeting out all hands, that's like, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Kelly, so I, I just scrolled back up in my notes doc to your title, which is Senior Director of Communication. So at your current company, do you own internal and external facing stuff or do you own what one portion of that? And I'm not trying to figure out how big of a job you have, but instead I'm trying to figure out how common the setup is, if that makes sense. Yeah, there is an internal comms team and as well as an external. And what I would say is we work very, very closely together okay. to, again, be in sync about what is the right message to that audience. And in, and in this okay. case, employees. Yeah. And it depends on the company. Like some companies, you know, the chief comms officer, or the SVP of comms owns both. But there's like a you know a head of internal comms and a head of external comms. And it just depends. But the, the point is, is like it's part of the same rodeo to Kelly's point, like you work real closely. Okay. I, I love that you describe it as a rodeo because that's my- It is a rodeo. <laughs> every, every company, once you like close the door, complete rodeo. Goat rodeo. Like I've never been to a company that wasn't. Um, before we get into some tiny things about startups, do you have any recommendations for companies, like things that you guys have noticed in the last year or two that may have changed? Because to me, COVID has- atomized workforces. It has changed the way brands are talking about themselves. And so I'm kind of curious, like how much has the landscape changed from your perspective 
in your day-to-day roles in the last couple of years since the start of COVID? Because my job has changed a lot. You know, we stopped flying for a couple of years. Everything went remote. I had to learn how to make friends on Zoom, which sucked. You know, like it's hard to get sources when you have to call them on the phone and be like, hi, you got 20 minutes? Where are you? Oh, you're playing with your kids? Great. Well, here's the thing. I mean, to your point, the remote thing, I think is a big thing in terms of like how you communicate to your employees. Like I think you actually have to be a little bit more present on some of these other channels because you're not in the office. You're not doing like, you know, all hands in front of tons of people. And then I think the other thing that I've actually seen is like, the thing is, is this job relies a lot on relationships. And I've always said that like, there needs to be sort of a, there's a fine line between trying to hold the relationships yourself as a comms person and making sure that like your executives have real life relationships with reporters and, and these audiences as well. And that their Twitter is authentic and their LinkedIn is authentic and all that. And so the more that we have become online, holding those relationships has become harder. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it just takes a lot more work. I mean, you know, at Databricks, uh, you know, no, Ali, I think Ali's one of the best at sort of building relationships with external audiences. And he's super approachable. And, you know, he would text you guys. and, And I think actually, the fact that he was super approachable made a huge difference to employees, to investors, to reporters, but that takes a lot of work in a remote world. And so it's it's like, how much work are you putting, willing to put into it? Because it is a, how much you put in is is what you get out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I'll just say like, I, I people ask me like, what should I do for my company? I'm always like, well, you know, the, the more open you are, the more approachable, the, the more people will yeah. care. My favorite example of this, picking a third party from this conversation is Aaron Levy and Box. You know, before. Oh my God, best Twitter. (laughs) His Twitter is amazing, but also like he's a person that I've had a couple of interactions with that were slightly off the books. Like one time, I my phone died outside of the box office and I couldn't get an Uber, and I'd like go, I'd like break back into their office, and I ended up charging my phone like on his laptop because he was the only person still there. And you end up with those kind of like IRL moments that make you empathize slightly more with the company and the people that are building it than you might otherwise. But Kelly, you guys have had a pretty kick-ass couple of years as a business, I think I can fairly say. So what's changed on your end during COVID? You know, I think for us, it goes back to like the world changed overnight and what our customers and what our employees, what they needed something different. And so I know you touched a little bit, you know, remote change things. But for us and our team, there was a huge need for really spending a lot of time with customers, hearing what they were going through, hearing what their experiences were, and just being able to find ways to elevate those challenges and concerns. So PPP, that was a very big thing that affected a lot of our customers. And when it rolled out initially, what we were actually hearing more and more was how customers were not able to access it, especially the really small ones. They were being shut out, disproportionately impacted were women and people of color. And what ended up happening is we did a lot of research. We were able to tap into our team and we were actually able to go to Congress and lobby for changes to the PPP program. And again, that just, we, that's a huge shift from what, you know, our plans were in terms of like product roadmaps and, and these kind of other uh, moments in time that we were planning on and just kind of the role that we played in terms of an advocate for our customer really changed during COVID. And PPP was the, Paycheck Protection Program. That was one of the U.S. federal programs set up to defend. uh, It was just basically give companies money so they don't fire everybody. That is correct. Okay, cool. Not to be confused with OPP. That's different. And what is OPP? Well, I don't know. You just have to be down with OPP. (laughs) 
Oh, because I know the OPM, which is other people's money. I'm trying to make a joke, Alex. Oh, sorry. I got um, you. I got you. Um, so this is a startup focus show. We've talked a lot about the late stage, uh, going public. I mean, you know, Gusto's huge. Databricks is huge. A couple of things that often come up when I'm talking to founders. I just want to get lightning responses from you guys. And the first one is, when should my startup hire an agency? And I know you guys both have experiences thereof, so I'm very curious. In the current climate, when should a startup hire an agency? When you actually have a story to tell. How do you know when that's the case? When you have a story to tell, either like you have customers, you have a product, you have funding, you have news. Like, don't just try and go get, you know, like we are here stories. No one cares. No one cares about this. Um, Kelly, same question to you. Startups, agencies, you were at Access for a while, so you have a good perspective here. I was <laughs> an, uh, for a long time. I second. Um, I also think what I would say is there are projects where you might bring an agency in and you really need more hands on decks. There's also an agency who's kind of a, a strategic partner. And you know that when they're able to increase the value that they deliver over time. And I would say agencies are really a, a partnership. And that's what I've always seen work the best. One of the pitfalls of any in-house team would be like, if you don't invest in an agency, you really you can't expect to get anything back out. So it's not something you can just purchase and then magic happens. It's going to be much like the rest of comms, apparently a relationship, a conversation, and one that should once again reach the highest levels of the company, given that you're talking about what what you actually are and do is my read. Yeah. Okay. 100%. Okay. I just want to say, Kelly and Kiana, thank you so much for putting up with my relatively basic questions about this stuff and, and teaching me things. I'm very glad that it was you two. But you know, there's a lot of folks out there that have taught me stuff over the years that I should also give a shout out to. Just picking some names out of a hat. I would have also loved to get Amy Widdowson on here, Pete Wooden from uh, WagEd, uh, Nadine Hyja from Apple. So thanks to them for uh, keeping me up to date. And uh, before we go, Twitter handles. Let's do them. Kelly, you first. At Kelly L. Boynton. And it's B-O-Y-N-T-O-N, right? That is correct. Okay. And then Kiana? At Kiana Corliss. C-O-R-L-I-S-S, I believe. Yes. Okay. I should have just done at Kiana like you did at Alex. I, I actually, I had to buy it off someone back in like 2009. So, I remember this. Yeah. For all the money in your PayPal account. Yes. Wow. Um, that's an amazing memory. I have a weird memory. Wow. <laughs> I, I can't even recall what I had for lunch today. Um, anyways, thanks to you both so much. I hope this was useful to folks out there. We're occasionally going to stretch our legs and bring in some experts and try to learn some stuff when it seems to be particularly relevant like it is right now in this area. But Equity is back tomorrow morning with our news roundup with Natasha and Marianne. So we'll see you then. And then next week's Thanksgiving. And I think we're going to miss one episode that week, but we'll let you know tomorrow. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. So fun. Equity is hosted by myself, editor-in-chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week.